Hi there. Welcome to Headcanon. I'm Benjamin Light. And I'm Marco Sparks. And this is our weekly podcast where we talk about film movie franchises and serialized narratives. This time we're closing out. Uh, we're almost done with the Harry Potter movies. We're on Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part 1. We're getting to the end. Mm-hmm. This is directed by David Yates again and written by Steve Clovis. Came out 19th of November 2010. So there's another 18 month gap there, back on the 18 month schedule for this. Mm. And I believe they filmed this one in Deathly Hallows Part 2 together and then just like so. chopped it up. And the next one came out like six months later. Right. It was like a 500 page script or something crazy. <laughs> All right. Well, shall we begin, Marco? Uh, I will keep mine. My opening statement is very brief. Uh, this is a movie that lays a lot of track. Um, it's you have to almost compare it in a way to to the bullshit that Peter Jackson pulled off the Hobbit, where <laughs> he turned a three hundred page book into like a nine hours of cinema and maybe even more unrated DVDs. Um, I enjoyed this movie, but it was there was you know more than a little bit of suffering porn to it. Hmm. Um, and I don't know. It's, I don't know. I, I'm really more looking for your thoughts on this. I guess I, I enjoyed it for the most part. I did not enjoy it as much as say like half blood Prince or obviously Azkaban. Hmm. Um, it's, it's almost entirely all set up and one third of the, uh, side characters that are thrown in are all geriatric, which I thought was interesting. Um, <laughs> All right. Interesting. We we may have some disagreements about this movie then. Uh, uh, shocking. <laughs> this is probably my second favorite Harry Potter movie after Azkaban, obviously. Okay. Um, I It seems to be at least some consensus online, not everyone, but a lot of people seem to think that the this is like a the boring movie with the camping. Um, but for me, like I really dig that stuff. I feel like any any good epic story. There's always a part where the protagonists have to like go out on their own on a journey in nature. Mm. And this is that part of the story for, for Harry Potter and his buddies. So I, I like all the camping stuff. I wish there was more of it. I, I, I like that part of the book. Um, mm. we should mention you have read this book, but it was a long time ago, right? It was so a while ago. Much. I can't say that, uh, a lot of it stuck. Um, though I was able to glean things where I was like, well, I definitely don't remember that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think also they, they finally let Ron grow up a bit in this movie. Uh, and he's a huge asshole, but he actually finally feels like he's on the same dramatic level as the other characters instead of just being kind of like the comic relief guy. Mm-hmm. I think it makes the movie feel more tense and exciting. Um, I have some minor quibbles about like the pacing and some other stuff, obviously. Uh, but overall, I think it's a really good thing that they split up Deathly Hallows into two movies because there would have been way too much plot to try to cram into one movie. And this movie instead gets to explore the characters a little bit, which I always enjoy. Mm-hmm. So that is where I'm coming from on this. I think they did a good job of, like you said, focusing back on the main three. Um, it's, it's, you know, it needs to be said though, this is the movie that started that. I guess it's a trend now. Of it is, but I don't think it's fair to lay YAs the blame. I don't no, think no, it's don't fair think... to blame. Like, like, there's way too much story to fit in one movie. Like, they had right. to split it up. Right. It feels weird, though, to see Deathly Hallows Part 1, Part 2. But, yeah, it makes a lot more sense. Like, you know, having read uh, 
I keep wanting to say uh, uh, Mockingbird, but it's Mocking, Mockingjay. Mockingjay. Having read Mockingjay, that does not need to be split up in the two movies. That is more of an issue with uh, the writer, I think. I think that there's too oh, much. It's just a bad, bad book. <laughs> yeah, it's a bad book. Now, spoiler for when we actually get to the Hunger Games in like two episodes of the podcast. I think you can say we both liked the first two books. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't really care for the third one. But even like uh, uh, his Dark Materials, you know, like the second book is very slight compared to the third book, which is huge. Um, slight, yeah. you mean like uh, just Shorter. lengthwise? Yeah, lengthwise. I'd say Subtle Knives is one of my favorite books. Oh, it's a fantastic book. Yeah. It's it's a it's an amazing series. I really wish mm-hmm. they had done that, that series justice in the cinema. Um, but yeah, we should probably just get into this. All right, um, so let's do our top three moments. Now, I have to kind of cheat because I have, like, two honorable mentions here. I have uh, six, so. Really? All right. So, I mean, I, <laughs> I I, I, think that speaks to how we kind of both feel about this movie, at least on some level, then. We have a lot of favorite moments. Yeah, yeah. Something's working. Um, so, I guess I'll, I'll do my kind of honorable mentions, and if you have those two, then we can go into, like, our actual top three. Sounds good. Uh, why don't you go first since you have six? Uh, just as a, this is the most slice of honorable mentions. Ron actually has the brilliance to admit that he and Harry wouldn't last two days out in the wild without Hermione. Ron speaks the truth. I was like, okay, Ron, finally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it took you seven movies. <laughs> now it's one of your honorable mentions. <laughs> uh, so honorable mention number two here. Uh, Molly Weasley, when she, she puts on a brave face. When uh, she sees that Harry and Hagrid are like the first ones back and then they shouldn't be. And she says, well, thank goodness you two are all right. And it's such a like, you know, she's dying inside because the rest of her family is not back yet. Right. But she's still like trying to be brave about it. I don't know. I love Mrs. Weasley. She's like the platonic ideal of like a, a mom in a story. Uh, I, I really appreciate her character and I like any moments that she has. Now, in general, in the in the books, is there more Molly and less Arthur? Mm, maybe a little bit. I mean, they're just, you know, there's just more of them than in the movies, just because there can be. I mean, I like Arthur because he is the definition of, like, square dad mm-hmm. who, who thinks he's hip. Um, I could see, like, him, like, wanting the kids to be really into his vinyl collection or whatever uh, as a muggle artifact. But, like, I always wondered, like, in the movies... Are they beefing up Arthur just because he can deliver more plot? Yeah, I mean, he he has a connection to the ministry, so he can exposition here and there more than Molly can. Hmm. But yeah, I think maybe you could say Molly is a little bit bigger of a presence in the books. Okay. Um, so my, another one of my honorable mentions is just the, the juxtaposition of our three main characters in modern downtown London in formal wear. And then Hermione has like a, a TARDIS purse, which is bigger on the inside. And like Mary Poppins, she gives like all of this like shit she can pull out of her purse. And then she has to give Ron shit for the, the surprise tone of him telling her that she's amazing. Mm-hmm. Like her, this is really. Well, that was, that was a callback. Yeah, but this is Hermione's movie. I'm going to disagree on that one. Okay. Interesting. This is, this is Ron's movie. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. Settle down. So my honor roll mention number one, speaking of Ron, is when Ron and Hermione are playing piano, I think it's at Grimwald Place mm-hmm. when they're holed up there, and she's trying to like teach him and she starts playing and like rather than kind of like watch her to try to learn, he's just like staring at her, like obviously completely in love with her. I just really like that moment of just him watching her and they don't make a big deal out of it. It's just kind of a subtle character moment. Uh, and you can, 
it's a cute little moment. You can tell that he's just enraptured with her and she doesn't even realize what he's doing. Do you feel like he finally gets, though, like on a conscious level? I think he does now. Yeah, I think this is the movie where he gets it. Okay. Uh, my honorable mention number three would be similarly in the same vein. Hermione's anger at Ron's return. And then like like when uh, Harry won't give her his, her wand. Oh, I don't know where it is. <laughs> and then falling right after that, Harry coaching Ron to keep mentioning the little ball of light to eventually get back in her good graces. Yeah. Like basically like Ron, you said something smart for the first time. Something smart dealing with the opposite sex. Just stick with that. <laughs> Don't well, they, deviate from that track. Yeah, they cut out the whole plot line from the book where uh, Fred and George have given Ron like this, like had a had a land witches book. I can't remember the exact name, but it's something <laughs> like that. It's like you know, like pick up artist moves for your for your average wizard there. And so he's like he's doing all this stuff where like every time you like he's trying to compliment Hermione and he's like handing her a handkerchief when she cries and stuff. And it's like all very kind of exaggerated, mm. but it is. It's like, yeah, you're you're kind of a tool for following a book, but the the outcome is that you're being a better person than you used to be. So maybe your motives aren't completely pure, but this is an improvement anyway, kind of thing. Step two on the How to Land Witches is just be decent, you yeah. piece of shit. <laughs> I like I like that there's like a, a subtle, probably dark vein in the Harry Potter world of like the wizardly uh seduction community. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Fred and George. Because I mean, uh, well, they—it's mentioned in the book that like they'll like want to like go into town and like try to pick up chicks like where they live and stuff like that, and they run off with like some of the uh, bridesmaids or at some point I think during the wedding they run into Tyrion. Because mm-hmm. um, I mean, basically, neurolinguistic linguistic programming, which is the cornerstone of the seduction community, is basically magic. Yeah, um, dark magic. Dark magic. So uh, on to our actual top three. What's your number three? My number three is actually Dobby's death on the beach for a character that I, I pretty much despised up until that moment, um, which was all like, you know, Sully underneath the, the surface building something. This genuinely tugged on my heartstrings. Hmm. And I really appreciated that you had like Harry and Luna there in the frame because they are the ones who were firsthand already acquainted with death and loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and... I don't know how I feel about Harry's whole, like, I want to bury him without magic because I I don't know if that's like him wanting to do something real or get back to something real because he would be the one out of everyone else who's more accustomed, I would think, to the non-magical world. I mean, Hermione obviously walks a little bit in that that world, uh, the muggle world because of her parents, but I don't know. It it, Still, just the fact that it was the two of them, and I I was genuinely sad. When when Dobby died on that on there on the beach after saving their lives, mm-hmm. I wonder if that would have been even more effective if Dobby had been in the movies more because he's in books four and books five. Not sure about uh, Half Blood Prince, but he he pops up in some of the other books, but he didn't make it into the movie. Let me put it this way: Dobby is probably a more recognizable character long term throughout the the cinematic life of Harry Potter than Ginny. Oh. Because the way they handle her. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> am I wrong, dude? You're not wrong, dude. All right. Uh, my number three, controversially, mm. uh, sexy CGI Horcrux Harry and Hermione. Oh, I, you know, I purposely, I purposely left it out just, just because. 
Because <laughs> I knew that 45 minutes of this podcast would be us talking about that. It's so wonderfully uncomfortable and scandalous. And see, I, I, I think you probably suspect that this is not in the book, right? Yeah. Basically is. It's not suggested that they're naked, but the like the Harry and Hermione like like specters like mm. making out with each other in front of Ron and like taunting him, that's all in there. Hmm. Well, so if Ron I mean I'm jumping ahead in my notes here, because like the, the dance and this scene I purposely left out of my top three. If Ron hadn't done anything, would those like smoke vapor people like have just gone the full way? Like would they just gone <laughs> all the way? Yeah, I don't know. Also, I'm just picturing like on set that day, they're just like, all right, Dan, uh, I need you to take your shirt off. Emma, here's a flesh colored bikini for you to wear. And they're like, seriously, are you kidding? There's no way this is in the book. And they well, go like, check I, and they're I, like, shit. I picture it like uh, when they filmed that one weird sex scene in like Fight Club where like they probably were covering those little dots. Oh, yeah. Also <laughs> like for the CGI, like all the little yeah, motion like, trackers. Dark, smoky Hermione. Is that basically uh, Dark Willow a little bit? Well, Dark Willow hotness. Eh, Dark Willow is a different vibe, but that's true. Um, I don't know. I, I like the moment. It's it's so cringy, but I I can't help smiling at it just because it's so over the top. And it's like, here's your worst fear, Ron. Well, and also Harry witnesses this too. Yeah, and they never speak of it again. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's even mentioned in the book when they like when they tell Hermione like how Ron killed the Horcrux. Like when they get to that part. Harry's just like, yeah, and then Ron stabbed it. And he just kind of like brush over the what happened. <laughs> I mean, but they are just like stripped down. There's like almost full penetration. I was like, holy shit, how far is this going to go? <laughs> when they cut out the line from the book where afterwards Harry says to Ron, he's like, she's, you know, she's been like a sister to me. And that's how it's always been with us. Like they they took that out for some reason. I feel like that could have helped a little bit there. I I feel like it's filmmakers' intentions though. Yeah, I but it always like... feels like like any time they can possibly do it, they want to like throw in a bone to like the Harry Hermione shippers. Which uh, my fan theory is that the president of that fan club is uh, David Heyman mm-hmm. and Steve Close. Yeah, I feel like uh, they were definitely going to get this, and if they had the to, scene. if they were, if they had to give Ron and Hermione together, like they, they just were going to do it as half-assed as possible. In mm. your fucking face, J.K. Rowling, they, they were saying. All right, what's your number two? Uh, my number two is Harry in his purple shirt and vest making out with Ginny, and then I think it's, it's Fred or George sneaks in with that thing sticking out of their ear. Yeah, it's George. Interesting. That's your number two, huh? I, I found I just, that to be totally weird and creepy. I know. That's why it's so perfect. Well, right down to the fact that Dan Radcliffe is wearing this ridiculous, like, purple. That outfit. That outfit. Like, he doesn't what even the look fuck like. are you wearing, Harry? He doesn't even look like a children's birthday party magician. He looks like the guy at the Russian circus who's going to throw knives. <laughs> that or, like, a singer songwriter in the, like, mid 70s. He's going to sing about Puff the Magic Dragon. Yeah. Mm hmm. <laughs> All right, my number two is the the tale of the three brothers animation sequence. Okay, uh, I love that. I feel like it's it's absolutely perfect, and I it's one of the clever things that Yates has done. I mean, who knows how much control he had over this part? But it's such a smart way to do that kind of story. Uh, I've always thought if Game of Thrones ever needed to do a flashback, they should do something like this rather than going and casting people. 
mm-hmm. and do it more as like a story because animation allows you to just shortcut so many things and kind of get to the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really love that sequence. It, it's perfectly done. And, you know, Emma Watson reading along, that works really well, too. I liked how it looked. I like how it ended the, uh, uh, you know, greeting death as an old friend, uh, departing this world as equals. I liked all that. I liked the way they transitioned into it. And then it felt weird when it abruptly just cut back to Reese Ethan's face. It seemed like there was a more artistic way to come back to that. Yeah. That they missed. Like maybe back to another reflection in the, uh, the pond outside or whatever, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are we at? Number one here? Yeah. So number one, Hermione in the Forest of Dean talking about how everything is the same except it isn't. And her parents wouldn't recognize any of it, even their own daughter. No. And that to me, like that's that's not the sole reason like Hermione's like the the, the the backbone of this movie, but like she's in so much of it and she is such a strong force. I mean, she is she really is the the backbone. She's the character of this movie. Um I'm trying to remember what the thing from the five man band and the TV tropes is. The heart or the chick? The heart. The heart. Yeah, she's the heart. Well, allow me to retort. By all means. Uh, my number one is their argument in the tent when Harry says, you think I don't know how this feels? And Ron says, no, you don't know how it feels. Oh, Your parents Ron. are dead. You have no family. Oh. That is the cruelest thing Ron has ever said, but it's such a great dramatic moment. Uh, like he, he crosses over a line that can't be uncrossed there. That's true. I think the actors have never been better. I think this is their best scene they've done together in this whole series. Um, and at other points in the adaptation process, it really felt like the writers were kind of like sanding off the red, rough edges on the characters and make them more likable. Mm. But they actually let the raw emotion play out here. And I think it's just so effective. Like that's that's a line that, you know, your parents are dead. You had no family. It's like, oh, shit. He just went there. Yeah. Well, I think the the in the not necessarily better, but maybe much more interesting version of this where it's a TV show. Like you can afford to have the characters be uglier mm-hmm. because you have time to deal with the ramifications of that. Um, I also, I wanted, <laughs> I wanted them to update that Batman meme. The, uh, my parents are dead. <laughs> I want that with Harry where Harry slaps her on. My parents are dead. Well, I feel like that, that has to cut so deep with Harry because, because he, he wants probably Ross family. Well, he he probably suspects deep down that maybe he doesn't know how it feels. You know? But also, like, it's like it's that's a, just, a little bit of insecurity with him. It's not just Ron pushing out at Harry; it's Ron pushing away from his own insecurities because Ron is maybe not the favorite of his own family. Mm-hmm. Even the asshole who went off and joined the Ministry might be more beloved than him. Well, that's how he feels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really love that moment. That's. It's like, hey, wow, they let them elevate and, and really act in this scene rather than, you know, just trying to tone it down for the kids. Yeah. So those are the top three. Let's get to the kind of the bottom three here. Uh, I don't have I don't have like a bottom three. I they've I guess they've done a good job that this is a wide universe. There's a lot of players that these characters wouldn't be aware of just because they're young people and this game has been playing for a long time. Um, there it just seemed like there was a lot more of here's so and so and here's so and so and here's so and so and you won't know them and they're only in a book and this guy was a thief and that guy was a thief too and they stole something and here's this and it's it's it well, they don't even much. explain like who Grindelwald is or who Grigorovich exactly. is yeah they're yeah. like you've read the books right yeah there's just a lot of like saucy gossipy old folk um 
who have like wisdom and clues to, to export upon our characters. I don't know. It's it's an interesting story. Just the weight of the past on the youth. I think in a lot of ways, because it's not it's not just Harry versus Voldemort. It's not just like this you know bastion of life versus the fear of death. But it's also like there's dramas that have been playing out that have nothing to do with Harry. Then they from 50 years earlier that he's having the you know address. Mm-hmm. I don't know what do you got. Uh, well, my kind of honorable mention complaint uh, the the opening like. Number one, the close up on Bill Nye there, Scrimgeour's speech <laughs> is like baffling to me. Like that is how you start your movie. What the fuck are you doing, David Yates? Like, yeah, I I watched this movie maybe five times now. I still couldn't tell you a word of what he says. His speech is completely boring and generic. I don't know why it's there. Um, and then the the bit where it's like showing that Hermione is wiping her parents' memory. Mm-hmm. That just shouldn't be there. Well, see, that's that from the very get go is telling me this is a big Hermione movie. Hmm. Okay. You're right. That, that should not be the beginning of the movie. Like that Hermione stuff should not be there in the beginning of the movie. Well, I feel like trust your actor to because that that obviously isn't in the book. She mentions it later to Harry when Harry's like, no, none of you're going with me. And he's like kind of being a little shit about it. They're like, you don't understand what we've done to prepare for this. Right. And like she she tells harry about how she like wiped her parents own memory of her like trust her actor to deliver that in a monologue like showing it that doesn't like you don't really know what's happening when you're watching it and you're kind of like oh i guess she's wiping their memory like it's it, there's no emotional heft to that at all unless you've read the books and you're like oh wow i'm seeing a scene i didn't see before two uh, two things i had a good laugh when she wipes herself out of the photos the one it's photo just an empty was, frame well the one photo is just background yeah yeah. <laughs> They're like, why do we keep this photo? Also, uh, I love Bill Nye. Um, I can only assume that they put him at the beginning there to give you an idea of the already deteriorating status quo of the magical world, but to make you somehow have something to feel something for him when you find out later that he's dead off screen. Yeah. But also Bill Nye is like he's got this like blue steel pout all the time. It just I just don't know what the hell they were thinking with opening the movie with that also i I just want to mention that uh, hermione's mom is catelyn stark oh okay cool but i feel like uh bill nye's like anger face his sad face his intrigued face and his O face are probably all the same face Mm -hmm. but poutier yeah just i don't know this opening is bad they they start doing like the like relying on headlines to tell your story stuff again and uh what are you doing Because they don't. What are you doing? It should just open with Harry's, uh, you know, asshole uh, adopted family leaving. So the the magical, so the movies are definitely set present day. They're not set in the nineties, right? It it would seem to be the case. Yeah, I mean, it's not like super clear when it is. I mean, obviously, like there's like the Millennium Dome and whatnot. This is this is like present day England. I I have a good laugh because they obviously have magical radio. They have magical newspapers. Kingsley has like magical news orbs but i can't help but think that like a fucking news orb that's his patronus oh that's what bugs me so much about like the choices they make that's supposed to be his patronus but they just don't show it properly but i mean like some kind of wizardly internet would be essential (laughs) at this point there's a weird old timiness to it all like it's like it's like like the the magical world is like analogous with like being uh, analogous with like being like hipsters of some kind you know yeah yeah (laughs) It's nice and low tech, which I, I feel is always a good idea in storytelling to not rely too much on 
kind of bullshit modern technology because then you just get like stupid hacking scenes eventually. <laughs> I would love to see a magical hack. Okay. I have to send my Patronus into cyberspace. <laughs> so let's see. Uh, any more complaints from you? Because I still have three more. By all means. Uh, the whistling sound effect motif they keep going to with the Horcrux. Mm. Uh, that got really annoying to me after a while. I don't know if uh, maybe that's just me. But... The the Lord of the Rings like like shit, like the One Ring. Well, they, they do it at the very beginning. There's like the weird whistling and then it cuts the scrimjar, you know, and then like they do it several more times where it's like the whistling gets louder and louder and louder and then silence as it cuts to something. And it's I'm just not a fan of it. I like I know what you're trying to do, David Yates, but it's just eh, to me. Scrimjar seems like a sexual move you do to somebody you do not love. Mm. Uh, complaint number two, and this is a big one for me. Maybe I'm alone in this, but Harry's hair in this movie is distractingly awful. His haircut is, I can't stop looking at it and like it distracts me every time I watch this movie. He's got like bangs and like a proto mullet in the back. Like, what, what happened? And like, you know, it's like 2008, 2009, and they shot this. Like, what was going on then? The only thing Hermione can't do is give haircuts. Uh, he's well, you know, you can got... even blame the the argument on Harry's bad haircut. I mean, obviously Hermione couldn't stand looking at him anymore, so she's trying to give him a haircut, and that's when the whole argument begins. Uh, he's got like a, a slightly softer version of of Charlie's haircut from Lost. Does he? A little bit. That's where it's. That's what you're describing. Charlie doesn't have like the mullet thing it's, about it's, to happen in the back. It's longer in the back. It's just not a good look. Charlie's got like the 1090, basically. He's got like 10% in the front, 90% in the back. That's not true. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I that's the one of the few things I didn't focus on was Radcliffe's I couldn't hair. stop looking at it. It just, especially when he's wearing his like weird open vest and purple shirt. Get up. It's like, <laughs> what? What is going on? I throw the knives in the circus. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I guess before I went to his hair, I kept wondering if he's drunk or not in this scene. I think the last movie, uh, Half-Blood Prince, is where the one he like regrets the most. Like, I, I suspect that maybe by this one he'd cleaned up a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then my number one complaint. I feel like there are a lot of emotional moments that feel kind of muted and rushed through in this movie. Uh, just to give a few examples. Um, Hermione's sadness after Ron leaves. It's there, but it just... I don't know. It's like it's so much bigger in the books. Like when they go to Godric's Hollow, it's like here's half a moment at Harry's parents' grave, and then like we're moving on to the next plot. Like yeah, uh, when Harry finds out his wand is broken, he's pretty pissed off and trying not to show it in the book. Whereas in this, he's just like okay, like it just doesn't really seem to register at all. Yeah. Um, when Ron comes back, Hermione's angry at him in the movie. She's apoplectic with rage in the book. <laughs> And it's awesome. Like, she is so furious and it doesn't stop. Uh, and I felt like she was kind of mad here, but like, she was just like the meanest, cruelest version of Hermione you'd ever seen in the books. Like, she was so furious. And I feel like Emma Watson is owed that. Mm-hmm. Um, when Hermione's being tortured in the book, Ron is like, he's freaking out. He's like moaning in rage. Like, he, you know, he's, he's losing his mind. Right. Whereas in this, he's like mildly perturbed. You know, and then even Dolphy's death at the end, like Lena just shows up and she's like, let's close his eyes. Like, it just seems so like, like, it's like they're moving too fast. They're like, all right, we got to get to this and then move on. Uh, I, I just wish they'd allow these moments to to spread out and, and breathe a little. I think you're right. I mean, plus, even though they had the 
they did a good job with like the the existential like dissonance of the bleakness of their quest and like the mm-hmm. loneliness and like the desert and all that stuff or the desert the forest and all that stuff um I feel like they did a better job with like the fear Hermione 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 feels when the dude can almost smell her but not see her than they did of some of the moments you mentioned mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um but real quick, subtle technological note. I, I thought they did a good job of making me think that Dobby was real, but also the fact that he looked completely unreal on the <laughs> beach there. Like, it looked like like when you look at Radcliffe's hand, like he's actually touching something. I believe that... Uh, is it Ivana Lynch? I believe she was actually closing something there, even though, like, it's still... He looks he looks almost Jar Jar bad. Mm-hmm. Um, well, well, you're talking about him wanting to bury... You know, he says, like, I want to bury him without magic. Like... That's obviously from the book, but it's like it's something that happens kind of organically where he just like wants a shovel and wants to go start digging. And it's not just like immediately like he's dead. Let's close his eyes. I want to bury him, you know, like one after the other, like boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I feel that, like... That's my main complaint. I mean, I, I like this movie, but it just seems like they're kind of like rushing at points. I I feel like Yates. And I just realized something as I, as I was thinking this idea, but I feel like he really wants to go do a camping movie like a camping drama of some kind he's really like into the scenery for sure he's really into the scenery he's in the scenery the same way like Catherine hardwick was into the scenery in twilight <laughs> um which i as i'm saying that i remember that he's like doing that tarzan movie which is apparently huge turmoil because Shocking. he's also doing the harry potter movie and he's like there's no post-production time yeah yeah all right let's talk about source material here so that is that is the Malfoy house that uh, uh, Snape is going to meet in Voldemort and like their specter group, right? Malfoy Manor, yes. Malfoy Manor, okay. Uh, so Harry with his like shard of mirror there, mm-hmm. did that make sense to you? Not really, no. Where did it come from? Oh, we we cut that part out of the previous movie, so suddenly he just has a shard of a mirror and he keeps looking in it. Uh, that's supposed to be Sirius gave him a mirror to communicate with in book five but like harry never opened the present because he thought it was gonna like get serious in trouble mm-hmm. and then later on he like he realizes after Sirius dies like what it was and he throws it against the wall and breaks it but then he saves one of the shards so that's that whole thing with the shard and it's it's used in uh deathly hallows part two to communicate with aberforth mm. it's like it's important so they had to like bring it back for this movie even though they never set it up in previous movies right they just have him staring at it I kept thinking back to uh, Arya Mitishev. Yeah. Honestly, where are the Dursleys going to go? Like, are they going back to that little island from the first movie? Yeah, they go somewhere. I think they even have magical protection when they leave. Well, I mean, they're effectively giving Harry their house. <laughs> they've lost everything. <laughs> they've even they've had to surrender to this little shit that they that they've made his life hell. And again, Fiona Shaw is criminally underused in this series. But like, well, you know, there's. There's a whole bit in the book where they're leaving and, and Dudley has this moment. He's like, why isn't Harry coming with us? Mm. And, like, and his parents are like, what? And he's like, no, seriously, why isn't he coming with us? So he kind of like he realizes that Harry's like actually a decent guy and he shakes his hand and everything. It's a cool little moment. Hey, you know, if anyone's going to like get in touch with their feelings, it's Big D. But like Fiona Shaw, like she does more grounded stuff with her face to like even out Richard Griffith's like mugging. <laughs> mugging. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, there's actually deleted scenes for this that I, I notice I have for my iTunes copy. Mm-hmm. One of them is uh, Harry Melling as Dudley, like doing the kind of, you know, shake Harry's hand thing. Mm-hmm. But they 
he'd lost a lot of weight and so they put this like like makeup appliance to make him look fat like on his face and it looks so like he just looks like super haggard and old with it on like no wonder they cut it because it just looks awful how sad for an actor yeah um that's the other book stuff the landing of harry and haggard in the bike in the books is much rougher like, I think Harry at one point gets his teeth knocked out and they have to get grown back. And they also don't go straight to the burrow. They go to uh, the Tonks house and then apparate or Portkey from there, one of the two. It just seems like that's not the smartest, most original choice for a safe house. What, the burrow? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like they all go other places and then Portkey over to the burrow, I think is how it does it in the book. Hmm. Um, but when exactly is Harry's birthday? When is the line? That's it's, crossed where he's no longer being traced. Uh, it's on his 17th birthday, which I believe right. is July 31st. But when is that in the movie? In the movie, it's happening. Oh, it's they mentioned it. It's kind of around the same time as the wedding. So they leave before his birthday. Okay. Because they mentioned that, you know, like Hermione and Ginny baked a cake. Mm-hmm. They never got to give him. Yeah. But I mean, by that point, by the point that, that Hermione says that, has he turned 17? He he has yeah. Technically, it happened the day before the wedding. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, what would you think of uh, Donald Gleason as Bill in this movie? Not Bill. much. Um, you know, it's funny. Uh, he's Brandon Gleason's son, obviously. Mm. The other time that Bill really appears in the books is in Goblet of Fire, which it's kind of like they. It seems like that would have been a good time to set up who Bill was, since uh, you know Brandon Gleason is in that movie, and you're casting his son anyway. I don't know, maybe so, he just hadn't decided that yet. Bill is not the char- the dragon guy; he's the banker guy. Yet they have him ride a dragon. Does he ride a dragon? I no, he's, he's he's riding a Thestral. Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah, but yeah, and they. I mean, there's he's in like uh, the last book too. Like during the fight at Hogwarts, he gets like scratched by a uh, Finn. Uh, what's his face? Uh, the werewolf Death Eater guy, which is why, like, there's like all that exposition right in that one scene where it's just like, "Hey, I've got like a scar from werewolves," and by the way, like Lupin and Tonks are married now, and she's expecting like all this like exposition happens. Oh, you know, also, I'm a brand new character who's married to and or engaged to Fleur. Mm-hmm. I'm engaged to because about to get married. I'm engaged to Fleur. Remember her? She was with another guy like four movies earlier. Ha <laughs> ha! It's weird, right? Um, so is it me or do they like go out of their way to dress down Fleur? Like she's supposed yeah. to be like a total babe, and they're like, "No makeup for you." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, this is a weird like uh, stag party for them too. But mm-hmm. uh, Dom Gleason's an actor who I need more points on the timeline to see how I feel about him because he's almost a non-entity in this movie. Mm-hmm. I did not like that Richard Curtis time travel movie. Um, Wasn't a huge fan of that. No, about time. Yeah, I, I. I did like Ex Machina. I liked him in Ex Machina. Um, I'm trying to think. He was in an episode of Black Mirror. I thought he was okay. He's basically playing the character he plays in every other movie, uh, except for this one. He was in uh, that Dread movie. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah. He was in Dread. Yeah. Um, I really want to see him as a villain in Star Wars. I really (laughs) want to see Star Wars, but I really want to see him as a villain in Star Wars. But I think as an actor, he would be much better if he always had a scar in his face. Yeah. You do see him in the background, like him and Ginny are doing a little fighting with the Death Eaters during the the wedding kind of uh, debacle. I was really sad. Just off screen, Mad Eye's dead. I mean, that's how it happens in the book. Because yeah. it's funny, like of all the things they didn't go and show that aren't seen directly from Harry's perspective, it's it's amazing that they didn't show that. 
Well, it's like Mad Eye is such a weird character in the movies when he actually shows up for realsies. Mm-hmm. Like, like the truest depiction of his character is the David Tennant, you know, version, yeah. whatever, with the the cunnilingus tongue. Well, it's it's funny how like it's like kind of a somber mood, and so Bill's just like, "Yeah, Mad Eye's dead. Just getting that out of the way right now." But I mean, uh, Brendan Gleeson, he makes me believe that Mad Eye can probably tell you some real stories about goblin piss. Yeah, I I did wish there's a bit in the book where after they you know all commiserate over Mad Eye being dead, they bust out like uh, some fire whiskey and they all do shots of it. I wish they kept that in. It's pretty cool. What is what is it, basically fireball? I guess, yeah, but it's just like, <laughs> hey, everyone, let's all do shots for a dead companion. Uh, let's let's do some fireball and vape. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have to say real quick because we're kind of doing this pseudo chronologically so far. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love it. This is a movie where ten minutes in, we're treated to a scene where a room full of evil people watch a snake eat a woman on a boardroom table. <laughs> like, like the new James Bond movie absolutely needs that scene. <laughs> yeah. Uh, more book stuff here. I wish they'd included Crumb at the wedding. I guess they even shot scenes with him and didn't use him. Mm. Um, cause he, he shows up at the wedding and he's kind of like on the prowl for Hermione and, and Ron actually like mans up. Like when he comes over to talk to them, Ron just like turns to Hermione. And he's like, Hey, let's go dance. Mm. And she's kind of surprised, but pleased. And she goes and dances with him. It was a nice little moment to show that like, Hey, Ron isn't a total weasel anymore. I think there's something great both in the book and the movie. There's something very meta where multiple characters have to literally become your hero. Mm-hmm. Like well, I like that they all have to like dress like him and look like him and take on the role of him. Well, we'll, we'll get to that in a bit. But yeah, one last thing on Crumb. Um, and then he like he goes and talks to Harry, who's actually like like using Polyjuice potion to like be in disguise. And he's like, "Hey, what about that redhead?" And Harry's just like, "Oh yeah, I heard uh, she's dating some guy. He's real mean. You know, you don't want to you don't want to go after her." It's kind of a funny little moment. And Crumb's just like, what is the point of being international Quidditch star if all the good girls are taken? It's a physical being. What are you going to do? More book stuff. When they apparate to London and they're kind of walking through London and they're like wedding outfits, Mm. like a bunch of guys are catcalling Hermione. I kind of wish they'd left that in just because it makes London seem kind of like scary. And it's like, whoa, they're out in the like, like frightening real world now. Mm hmm. Uh, let's see other book stuff. There's a whole like uh, Lily Allen could have shown up as a witch and told Hermione how tough London is. Yeah, there's a whole subplot with Harry and Lupin where Lupin shows up at Grimwald Place and they realize that he's like avoiding his wife and abandoning his child because he doesn't want to like his werewolf, you know, pers- identity to like you know make it hard for them. And Harry gets in a huge shouting match with Lupin and Lupin runs off. And then later they kind of like reconcile. Like I can see why they cut that out. Yeah. It all seemed like like forever with Lupin. They were just like throwing obstacles in his path to like, you know, like you don't get to live a normal life. You can't have romance. You can't have a baby all because you're a werewolf thing. Now, is is Bill now a werewolf? No, he just likes his stakes on the rare side. He, he was uh, like Fenrir Greyback was not transformed when he scratched Bill. Okay. So he's, he's he has some kind of like wolfish tendencies but he's not a werewolf okay hmm. um i don't know if you caught it's a quick shot in the movie where when they're at grimwald place and harry wakes up and he looks over and ron and hermione look like they were holding hands and they fell asleep oh i love that moment yeah yeah 
I like that. That's from the book. And I like that when Harry kind of he's thinking to himself as he sees that and it says, you know, he feels lonely for some reason, you know, because he kind of sees it like they're they're a unit now that have kind of happened while he's off alone by himself. Mm-hmm. Sirius's room, when they show it, I feel like it should have been way more Gryffindory. Um, when they go into his room in the books, it's like red and gold everywhere to like piss his parents off. And there's even like, like normal, like muggle posters of like chicks and bikinis and stuff like that. It's like very much like a teenager's room is how it was left. I was like that. Uh. <laughs> when Harry, he sees Mad-Eye's eyes on Umbridge's new office. Oh yeah. In the book, he steals it back and they bury it later. I was like that. I never picked up in the movie that that was specifically Mad Eye's eye. No, and they show it, but they don't really make a big deal out of it. But I mean, it could just been like a creepy eyeball thing on the door. He steals the eye back, and that's what alerts them that there's like someone at the ministry. You know, he kind of inadvertently uh, kind of blows their cover, but then they bury the eye later. Like I don't know, that would have been effective, I think, in the movie. Give, give Mad Eye like a real send off. Well, like you got the werewolf guy who shows up in the sixth movie, you've got the uh, the menacing Euro trash villain that dude. dude. Yeah, I know exactly. In the you're ministry, about. it's like there's too many just like nameless, like bureaucratic thugs that keep showing up. But when Pius takes over the ministry, and then like the like shady Death Eaters walk in, mm-hmm. and like everybody else is in like nice suits, and then like these assholes show up from like they look like they're from some bad like like. Halloween themed rock band or something or like a bond crime syndicate yeah he's got like the weird like plaid pants and everything it's just like seriously you assholes couldn't have like dressed up a little the uh the dude that uh Harry Polyjuice is into I don't know if you saw it yet is he the guy from Luther season three I have not seen Luther season okay. three okay red corn um another book bit when the when they get to the Potter's like old cottage mm-hmm. and Godric Tallow, there's like a little plaque commemorating their death. Mm. Uh, they cut that out. Also, there's no flashback to that night. Like when Harry, he like when Voldemort is on his way because he knows Harry is at uh, Mathilda Bagshot's house. There's, he has like a, like a pure flashback where we finally see like the entire sequence of what happened that night when Voldemort killed his parents. That would have been a really cool opportunity to use Ray Fines without makeup. Yeah. If they put that in there. I mean, that wouldn't that have totally worked? I was just thinking as you were talking about it, I wonder what Voldemort looked like under that hood. Well, it's you know, I thought the same thing when I was doing my notes last night, and I'd be like, oh, he'd just be Ray Fines. Of course he would be, you know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe it's some subtle makeup or something, but that I, I always like that moment in the book. It's we've all had these little flashes of uh, his parents being killed, but like you finally see the whole thing, like Voldemort walking through town. It's Halloween. He sees the trick-or-treaters and whatnot, and he goes there, and he, you know, he sees through the window that they're chilling inside, and they don't even have their wands or anything, and he kills James and goes upstairs, kills Lily. Like, to actually see that all play out after getting all those hints about it for six movies, I think that would have been really cool. Well, it would. I mean, in, cinematically, it would have worked nicely. Like, it mm-hmm. would have really been a hard pill for Harry to swallow in that moment. I mean, it would have, it would have dealt with, like, the added PTSD that he deals with regularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there was an exchange, and they they changed this. That's when they're talking about the Deluminator after Ron comes back, and Ron seems to say that like Dumbledore gave it to him because he knew that like Hermione would want him to come back. I think is the line he uses. 
Something like that. He knew that Which he is, would be the one who wanders off or whatever. Well, the the correct line is Ron says, he must have known I'd run out on you. And then Harry says, no, he must have known he'd always want to come back. Like, that's just a better line, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, is that, that, like, 15 years in the future, when Ron goes off and has an affair, mm-hmm. is that Deluminator going to go off? Like, he's going to be like, damn it. <laughs> when, uh, what is the uh, what is the meme when, uh, when Ron has a beer and cheats on his wife? Yeah. Uh yeah, let's see. We already already mentioned Grindelwald, who's not explained at all. He's like like Dumbledore is like nemesis before Voldemort. Uh, who, who might have been responsible for Hitler in World War II. It's got like that he was like in power at the same time. You know, so that detail maybe is a little too busy for this movie. Yeah, it'd be hard to work in, but you're left with just like who are these old dudes? Because then I I'm just picturing like Voldemort, like like Ray Fine, Snake Face, No Nose, Voldemort, like dressed in a Nazi uniform, mm-hmm. which would have been weird, gross. But uh, yeah. And then there's the whole just the concept of the Deathly Hallows. Um, what do you think of the Hallows in general? Does it seem like it's out of nowhere? Or? Uh, a, a touch, yeah. Hmm. I mean, at least it's you know it's it's Dumbledore's wand, it's Harry's cloak. Um, I believe it's the Philosopher's Stone. No, right. no, no, different stone. The oh, resurrection like the guy, stone. The guy mm-hmm. who has to die in the first one, he made that himself. Yeah. I mean, um, you could say l- that uh, Rowling set up the various items, which are the Deathly Hallows, but the concept of the Deathly Hallows never comes up before this book. So in some ways, it does kind of feel like this extra magical thing that isn't totally necessary to the story, but only kind of. That doesn't bother me as much because I think the the slam dunk genius move that she does though is at least makes diary tom riddle one of the horcruxes i think that's smart um i would have maybe had one other thing between books two and six be a horcrux as well but what about the hallows though the hallows themselves i are they out of left field maybe a little bit does it bother me no hmm because I mean, at least it's it's set up to be. It's they know that it's Voldemort's quest, and they know mm-hmm. that it's potentially beneficial to their quest to find the Horcruxes. So I mean, it's it's I, I maybe I'm saying wrong, but it's possibly the MacGuffin of the movie. It works for me. To me, the Hallows they're kind of superfluous. Like Harry becomes the master of death, but it doesn't really have any impact on the plot at all. Mm. Like, I kind of wonder if she was setting that up as an excuse for how he could survive when the the killing curse again. But then that isn't how he survives. He survives because Voldemort has Harry's own, like, protection spell within him. So he still can't kill Harry. Um, hmm. Anyway. I think it's more... saved for me because you have that very cool story. Okay. Three brothers. Yeah, it is a cool story. A few more book things. Um, when they get to Luna's house, they go upstairs and see her, or Harry does, and sees her room. And on the ceiling, there's this big painted mural of Luna with like Harry and Ginny and Hermione and Ron and Neville. And then it says, uh, like there's like gold, uh, kind of like scroll work around them. And mm-hmm. it says friends all over the place. It's like friends, friends, friends. It's so like, it's kind of pathetic and really sad, but you know, you know, like Harry's like super touched by it. I wish they'd included that. Man, I fucking love Luna. I mean, mm-hmm. the way she first of all, Reese Evans is like born to play this role. Well, you know, you can't trust Reese Evans. I mean, exactly. that guy. You're just exactly. like, uh oh. I mean, like 
I, I've never believed an actor's delivery more than when he's talking about how gnome saliva is very beneficial. Mm-hmm. But like the way she sells the line that like he doesn't want to talk to us right now. <laughs> he's just, just stupid to say so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, she's so good. I'm so glad they at least brought her back at the end of this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few more book things. Uh, Grindelwald in the book doesn't sell out the Elder Wand like he dies instead. Hmm. So it's not he does, you know, he's a little more like just tells Voldemort where it is in the movie. Um the for a, for a non-book is reader. He, is he in Azkaban? No, he's in um I can't remember the name of the prison, but it's a different prison. Okay. It's like more European. For a, for a semi-non-book reader, the stuff about the sword and the vault with Beltrix, did that make any sense? No. No, no, no. Yeah, and I don't think anyone even knows what's going on unless you've read the book there. Like, why does she, why does she keep asking about a vault and a sword? Like, you're just like, what's going on? I mean, it's, it's very convenient that it's under the frozen lake, like 20 yards from where they're camping. Well, no, I mean, at the end with Bellatrix, when she's oh, torturing yeah. Hermione and yeah. Yeah, that, that, mm-hmm. that makes no sense at all. She's torturing the, the goblin man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it makes no sense at all. And apparently I read that, uh, they had to cut that back in the editing room. Like it got intense, that torture mm-hmm. scene between her and Hermione to the yeah. point where after they filmed it, Helena Bonham Carter had to take Emma Watson aside and ask, are we good? Yeah. I also read that IMDb. <laughs> it's it's that's good trivia though. <laughs> I wish uh, Emma Watson was like, no. <laughs> yeah. One last thing. Uh, they never even show Peter Pettigrew die. Like he's actually supposed to die and not just get stunned. Mm. His his fake hand turns on him when he hesitates, like trying to kill Harry. Um, that's there, just all left out. Is there supposed to be like great, like Bruce Campbell, like hand acting? Basically, yeah. It's like he's him and Harry are like kind of struggling with each other, and he's trying to like choke Harry out. Uh, and Harry says something like, you know, "Like you know, I let you live," or you know, basically something to that effect. And Peter hesitates, and that hesitation, like his hand turns on him because he realizes that he's, you know, and that's kind of the callback to. Harry letting him live to begin with and Dumbledore saying like, you know, that might turn out to be a good thing. A lot of that, that stuff at the Malfoy Manor seemed weird because they all know it's Harry. I mean, I Mm -hmm. I like the idea that it's on to Draco to confirm it. And of course that's, that's, well, he's supposed to look a little more fucked up. Yeah, he should have because Draco's hesitation is like the beginning of his redemption. Mm -hmm. But it's like everyone knows it's Harry. Even Pettigrew can be like, that asshole right there is Ron. I was yeah. just a fucking rat for 16 years or whatever. Yeah, really? Like, I mean, like, I, I liked uh, Jason Isaacs just, like, trembling, like, look, kid, we need this. Now, let me let me throw something out. It's going to blow your mind. Okay, blow my mind. Lucian's in this movie? Yeah. Kind of looks like wizardly Don Draper. Think about that. He has a similar face and jaw. This was the best movie for Jason Isaacs acting for me because everything I've ever seen Jason Isaacs in, he's basically playing Lucius Malfoy, mm-hmm. just maybe a little less high voice, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would love to see him play a normal character if he knows what that is. <laughs> also, that involved, show awake. If, yeah, yeah. But if he also, you know, was constantly just like handing people glasses of, of scotch, mm-hmm. that'd be great too. Tell him to sit down and shut the door. Oh, yeah. So let's move into the general discussion here. Hold on. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. 
Draco, it will shock you how much it didn't happen. <laughs> so I want to throw out the, the sexual implications of Polyjuice Potion. Oh, yeah. Like when, when Hermione and Fleur trans, you know, they, they turn into oh, uh, yeah, that, that's the Harry. Like, is it is it anatomically correct? Like, come on, we're all wondering that, right? Like, well, do they do they do a little checking just out of curiosity? When, she, when Fleur tells Bill, don't look at me. He seems more invested in <laughs> checking out her body than ever before. Can you imagine just in the wizarding world the like the kinky sex shit you could get into with Polyjuice Potion? I mean, you could go some really interesting places with that. Just wizardly powers in general. I mean, imagine if Sirius like could meet another like dog woman. <laughs> well, maybe on some nights, Hermione and Ron are like, "All right, we're just gonna drink po- Polyjuice potions of each other." And then have some fun. <laughs> well, I feel like I feel like on their tenth wedding anniversary, like Hermione like breaks down. She grants Ron his one freaky bedroom wish, which <laughs> is to recreate the vapor sex scene. <laughs> oh, like, she, she like he takes Hermione. some of uh, he's Hermione and she's Ron or Harry. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You could get all kinds of fun Ron's freaky like, with some apologies. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I haven't looked, but I'm sure there's some good fanfic out there. Well, just all of the like transmogrification alone. Mm-hmm. I mean, just like uh, imagine like if you're just like crazy, like fuck spree operating all over the world. Well, what would happen if you like, could you conceive under Polyjuice Potion? What would you end up like? What would happen if? Yeah, I don't know. Because technically, you are using the genetics to mm-hmm. create the outer appearance. Mm. Also, mixing a little love potion. It's really fucked up. It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I bet the fan fiction, I hope the fan fiction is just a bizarre experiment in exploring these depths. Well, and that's got to be a little weird for Harry. Be like, great. Now everybody like knows my body intimately. <laughs> <laughs> there is a bit in the book where he's kind of annoyed at them all just like, they're just like taking their clothes off and changing. And he's just like, hey, why don't you cover up a little bit, you know? Well, even it's my the, body you're running around in, even the uh, fucking like Madungus over there, Madungus. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. uh, I just want everyone right now to, to ponder what they would do with some Polyjuice potion. I guess we should go like uh, we should go implore like Cassandra Clare or somebody like that to answer some of these questions. Yeah, really. Um, I would like to think that his or not his uh shadow hunters or whatever it's called is just exploring harry potter fanfic under a different name mm-hmm. uh let's see snape letting the teacher die it's pretty ice cold oh he's yeah. just like i'm in deep cover yeah yeah donnie brasco there um did I, I i i only barely heard it when i was watching it now are there two death eaters on the staff at hogwarts this year or two dementors death eaters okay that's what I figured it was. That logically made sense. But for a second, there, I thought, like, how fucking awesome would it be if there was a Dementor as a teacher? Yeah, I don't think that would work. <laughs> you just show up every day, get, like, your soul sucked out a little bit, mm-hmm. walk away. Pretty sure you didn't learn anything except sadness. Uh, I like that Her- or Hermione just, like, steals some of Harry's hair when he's, like, resisting. Yeah. He's just like, yeah, enough of this shit. Mad-Eye has, like, an old man reclining broomstick. <laughs> like, he doesn't have a normal one. He's got, like... It's like the reclining bike. 
It just seems weird that they step outside and then yell, everyone meet up at the burrows. I'm thinking about oh, the Death they? Eaters. Yeah, that. down the Death Eaters, I'll be like, okay, why even bother attacking you in the skies? We'll just meet you at the burrows, you assholes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which they clearly could could do. They could go and fight at the burrows. Like they well, did like, the burrow is supposed to have a Fidelius charm on it, so they wouldn't be able to get there. But, you know. They did, though, right? In the movie, yeah, in the in the last movie, because they put in a stupid scene that made no sense. But okay, yeah. does it take all of them to raise the wedding tent? You think? I feel like one wizard should have been able to do that. Also, big question for me, huge question: Can the Weasley family afford that wedding? You know, it, they left it out. Um, what's his face? Arthur gets a promotion in book six. Okay, he's in charge of a whole a whole new department in books. Well, he's seen so the, he's, he's, he does have a bit more money, and plus, isn't the bride's family usually supposed to pay for the wedding? Didn't seem like they were involved at all. Yeah, uh, well, because you would think they would be like, yeah, how about we don't have the wedding in war torn England? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why don't we go back to whatever magical bluebirds do her hair country or whatever that mm-hmm. lore is from? Um, France. <laughs> Bonjour. But uh, I mean, wouldn't wouldn't Arthur be like like the first guy to be disappeared like when he goes back to work at the ministry after the wedding? Well, he's just got to keep up appearances, you know. <sighs> yeah, that is a little bit of a hand wave in the book too. That somehow he's still able to continue to go to work. I mean, eventually he goes into hiding. But right. Uh, let's see what else we got. I want the reveal too that like. He's never realized that Molly's been like a deep cover, like uh, agent of the ministry the entire time they've been together. Like the whole thing out of nowhere in the Divergent movies where suddenly Ashley Judd has like super spy skills or whatever. Or super I don't think skills. that the Divergent movies should be emulated in any way ever, personally. That's fair. That's an exactly good point. But I mean, mm-hmm. wouldn't you just love if like suddenly Molly Weezy just like, I don't know, whipped out like a magical sword and was just like mm-hmm. badass? I like Molly. Molly's badass enough as she is. Okay. Yeah. Hedwig bites it. Poor Hedwig. Mm-hmm. Kind of trying to protect Harry. Yeah. Give him away at the same time. If that's a story you need to tell yourself. That's cool, Harry. Um, I did like Hermione realizing like which one is Harry and which one's like Ron as Harry and running over to hug him. Hmm. Well, that, that's where the callback set up the, uh, you know, the always the tone of surprise with you. Mm. He says that to her. And then we had the whole like dream montage to remind us what Horcruxes are. Yeah. It's a little, little weak, but what are you going to do? The, when they went back to the shot of Dumbledore falling, that made me think of like season premiere of a TV show. Mm-hmm. A little bit. Well, it definitely with Yates, there's much more of a, a TV vibe. It feels like the production is. More of an expensive TV show at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we talked about George being like the creepy buzzkill, just like watching Harry make out with his sister. And it's like, dude, this is like the most action Harry's gotten in seven movies. George, you want to clear out a little? I feel like George is the uh, the like NAT club Jason DeLaurentis type. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you guess that like that creepy wink, like yeah, my sister, yeah. <laughs> uh. I think I like that McClagan inherits the uh, my father will hear of this mantle. Yeah, there's like one shot of like all the the regular students have like cameos in this movie. Like yeah. fucking fucking Seamus is still there. Yeah, that guy's just like yeah, I made it in. I'm in every fucking movie. Neville and Ginny together on the train. Even Cho and uh, what's her face, uh, Lavender are there. 
No, were they? Yeah, there was like they like got them all in there briefly. All in that one train car. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess they are seventh year Gryffindors mostly, so they should be there. Yeah. I. How gross is it that you have to flush yourself to work each day? I oh, it's so like, completely insulting. I feel like Hermione probably found a way to get into the ministry about having to step into a toilet. Yeah. Well, it's such a a dehumanizing, like, insulting thing to, like, it's got to just put, you know, a depressing weight on all your employees' shoulders to make them do that to get to work every day. Yeah. Also, like, what if you generally have to go, like, number one or number two? I think they probably have other bathrooms for that. Um, I think Bill Nye's V for this movie is just that wig that he's wearing. (laughs) I remember that in the trailer, they had to make Hermione's hands clean as she was doing the protective enchantment. The blood. Yeah. 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 Uh, Luna and her dad dancing at the wedding. Yeah. That's a good dance there. I mean, I'm going to presume that they were probably less spacey before the mom's death. I would think that it affected Probably, him. yeah. Yeah. I can see that. Yeah, Ron listens to the shipping news about suffering. Um, Her- Hermione orders a cappuccino. It's very sophisticated. It reminded me a little bit of uh, Arya Montgomery there. I mean, she's well, much more of a Spencer, but... I love that they, uh, like, both Harry and Ron have no clue what that is. Uh, whatever. Mm-hmm. She- yeah, that. Yeah. Ron's like, I don't know what it is because I'm from the wizarding world. And Harry's like, I don't know what it is because I'm just a huge heel. Yeah. Ron, Harry, who who spent some time traveling on trains and chilling in coffee shops in the, mm-hmm. the train station. No idea what the fucking yeah, coffee he's like, is. He's like, I have no culture. Yeah. That's why I don't know what a cappuccino is. But I love that Harry is briefly concerned that Hermione fucked up his haircut. As if she could. Yeah. She, she fucked up by uh, getting interrupted and not cutting his bangs off. <laughs> Just give him a buzz. Well, you know, then that bit with the the Death Eaters and the like workmen uniforms at the cafe there, they have Hermione do the Obliviate spell mm-hmm. on Dolohov, and I think this is supposed to kind of like resonate emotionally because like like oh she's done this before too fast though. But it, yeah, it, it doesn't like I know what they're going for, but I just don't think it it landed. So I mean, okay, here's my question about magical practice. Like you you. Half of it's unspoken, right? I mean, it just seems like I could point at one person and say obliviate and point at another person and say obliviate. And it's like there's no finesse to what exactly, what, what kind of mental surgery I'm doing. Well, there there is. You just don't see that, basically. Okay. Yeah. Uh, let's see. I thought it was interesting that the, the guy that Harry poses as, Runcorn, mm-hmm. he's in the background when uh, Pius, the new minister, right. is introduced. And then when they see that photo of Umbridge, Mafalda, Popkirk, who Hermione poses as, she's in the background. I thought that was a little clever way to work those characters in yeah. a little beforehand. And then they kind of like cheaped out on another transformation scene with the Polyjuice Potion, so you don't really see it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, the the guy who plays Harry, Runcorn, that guy, mm-hmm. like Harry in disguise, he walks like a Muppet when <laughs> when he's like, when it's like Harry as him. Like, I don't know. They're just like, if he's trying to communicate that he's not used to being tall or something, but he walks around like a fucking Muppet. It's, it's so funny. I felt like that guy did a good job of playing off the weirdness of having somebody else's face and body. The mm-hmm. actress who played, uh, 
Hermione in the Polyjuice thing. Oh, Mafalda, yeah. I know I've seen her in something before. I didn't feel like, I don't know, like she was doing a lot of facial reactions that I didn't feel. Didn't feel Hermione-ish Didn't feel Hermione yeah. at all, yeah. It's like she wasn't doing, you know, you've seen other movies where an actor's done a good job of mimicking the person that they're well, supposed to actually be. In the next movie, uh, Hell in the Bottom, Carter, doing Hermione as Bellatrix is excellent. Thus all my fan fiction begins. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man, that dancing scene, though. Oh, yeah, we're getting there. Uh, I did like Mrs. Cattermole, her line about how the wand chose her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a nice affecting line. It's like you really feel the injustice. Uh, it just makes you hate Umbridge even more for the kind of like reality distorting bullshit that she peddles. Yeah. Where it's like, who did you steal this from? You know, you're not a real witch. It's well, it's, like, it's like it's such rage. It's also a good reminder as the story's progressing to, you know, Harry losing his wand, Voldemort's quest for a better wand. Um, it's a good reminder of how this, this situation works, I think. I I mean... Yeah, but like, I, I feel like it's just more like an emotional reaction to like altering her own reality. Like, who'd you steal this from? It's like, the wand chose me, you know, and then she's like kind of pleading with them. Yeah. And then uh, uh, Hermione gets annoyed when Mrs. Cattermole is kissing Ron as uh, her husband. She's just like, seriously. The one dude just walks right into the ministry, like, undressed. Yeah. I mean, he had to obviously make a journey. He had to go into that bathroom. He had to be flushed in there. (laughs) Freaking out. You wake up, you know, knocked out in like a warehouse somewhere, like near your work. That would be pretty weird. Near potentially two other unconscious people who are also mm-hmm. half naked. In the book, they don't stupefy all of them. They, I think, they slip him one of uh, Fred and George's uh, like trick candies to make his nose bleed constantly, or, or make him vomit or something like that. So he has to go home. Yeah. Uh, Magical roofies. The uh, the snatchers in the woods there. Mm-hmm. Why are they out in the middle of fucking nowhere yeah, in the woods? Yeah, they're they are nowhere. I mean, yeah. I understand that this was like Game of Thrones, but it's not. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what, what the fuck are you guys doing out here just wandering through the woods? Just chilling out in the woods, smelling some perfume, mm-hmm. not thinking much of it. So when you were watching this, there's a shot where it's right after the, the Snatchers kind of like sense Hermione, but don't see through her enchantments and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And then Harry goes out and, and meets with her and then they're walking back. And Ron kind of sees them walking back together at night. Did you get a vibe? Like, oh, they were just off banging in the woods? I felt that they did a good job conveying Ron's concern and jealousy. <laughs> it wasn't perfect, but I, I felt they, they were effective in what they were trying to convey. What if they actually did? Well, like, so the question with the dancing scene is, <laughs> are they considering something? Are they out of desperation? Are they having a desperation bang? Are they going to connect in a way that's more than just emotional because they feel so abandoned together? They're both just missing Ron and having like just like the worst pity sex ever. Music. I mean, even if it's not sex, I mean, are they considering it? Like it's just us now. Mm -hmm. We need to do something to not feel this sad. Well, she does have that line. Maybe we should just stay here, Harry. Grow old. Yeah. God, what a depressing life that would be. Well, you know, question number one. What the fuck are we going to eat, Hermione? What are we going to eat? 
I'm sure Hermione can come up with something. There's a in the books. There's a constant bit where Ron doesn't like her cooking because mm. she's you know cooking like mushrooms and roots and whatever they can find to eat, mm. and she's just like fuck you. She's like, yeah, I'm sorry. I have a whole Chipotle franchise in my uh, purse here too. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I do think it would have helped a little bit to include a line like when they're getting ready to leave after Ron has taken off that like Ron won't be able to find them again once they apparate. Yeah. Like something to just establish the stakes there to, to make, to really show why Hermione would break down and cry as soon as they apparate. It's cause like that was it. And that was the last chance. So apparating can be done without a wand. Uh, no, it can't, but okay. So yeah. you, like Harry losing his wand, or his wand breaking. Well, he can he can side apparate with Hermione because she has her wand. Okay, but he couldn't initiate the apparition. Yeah. Okay. But I I thought was fascinating. The uh, Bellatrix is like, let me see her wand. Let's mm-hmm. see what the last spell she did is. That I don't know. It just prior incantatum. As a as a like a device that like logs your your history or whatever, it mm-hmm. fascinates me. So I think we need to really dive into the dancing scene here. Yeah. So I, I did, I asked on Twitter, I was just curious what people thought of this scene, like, yay or nay. Seems like everybody liked it, mm-hmm. which surprised me a little just because it's not in the book and whatnot. You know, it seems like people wouldn't like it. Uh, what did you think? You know, I, it's a weird scene. I do like this scene because I don't, I don't, I can't tell you exactly why. I feel like it fits the story. It's not like it's one of those things they forced out of left field, though I feel like you can see the nefarious hands of like a person like David mm-hmm. Heyman and his shipping powers. But, uh, it's incredibly well acted and it, it, it's slow enough that it feels organic. It builds to that moment. Um, when you take screenshots of it also, it's hilarious. Especially my when fa- they start smiling and really get into it. Yeah. My favorite part is how Hermione keeps trying to lead. Yeah, as um, you should. I mean, I, I would say I guess I like it overall. It's not one of my favorite moments, but it, it could maybe make the list, like on you know number six. It um, um, it it it's Radcliffe looking like an adult dancing, and I I say that compared to when he's dancing on Goblet of Fire. Mm, yeah, and and he looks like a Muppet with that giant hair. <laughs> Like he looks like you know when they the movie where they they throw like a stuffed dummy off of a thing and it's like oh no that's so and so falling to their death that's what his dancing looks like in Goblet of Fire to me. Well, it's like um, that's a nice visual. <laughs> if I have one criticism of the scene, it's that you watch it and you're like, man, they have really good chemistry, mm-hmm. and uh, it is you know friendly chemistry of course because they're not supposed to get together, but like yeah they they really have a, a good connection that I feel like they. I don't know if they never developed it with Ron and Hermione or it just wasn't there or what, but I feel like you definitely feel this relationship more. Is there such thing? I mean, I know there's chemistry tests in in movie making. Well, how would you chemistry test like, you know, two 11 year olds? Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, are there chemistry exercises? Can you, can you, as a, as a coach of actors, you know, working with thespians, can you do like chemistry exercises where you can, build like sexual tension less of an exercise and more of like you guys need to go hang out you know like maybe go sing some karaoke together like maybe go on a camping trip like you know just kind of try to get to get to know each other well so you you know you seem more comfortable around each other maybe now the question is do you think that they're thinking about it not speaking about it in this scene maybe i mean you have to wonder how 
it's sexually libertine the wizarding world is. I feel like with Polyjuice Potion and the the opportunities that would offer, and not to mention all the other weird spells they can do, you would think the wizarding world would be pretty cool, you know, sexually with a lot of different kinds of stuff. So maybe they're thinking about it. Who do you think is like uh, the grooviest person enjoying sex the most of all the characters we've seen in Harry Potter? Snape. No, I'm just kidding. I feel like Snape, Snape isn't has, getting any, obviously. Snape has obviously. like like uh, like leather straps that restrict parts of his body under his like little robe. Yeah, I feel like Snape is like a he's a he's a follower of the Marquis de Sade. I could see that. Let me think. Harry Potter uh, Snape's, characters. Snape's safe word is hit me again. Harder. Um, I feel like it's Lockhart. Yeah, that's a pretty good one. I mean, he he's just like pawing through groupies, probably. Yeah. Um, let me just take and, a look and, and at the cast giving, here. Uh, giving them a collection of his collected works. <laughs> that's his like money on the uh, dresser. There you go. Let's see what other characters do we have. I mean, I feel like Sirius like would have been if he wasn't in jail the whole time. I have my theories about. You know what he <laughs> needs to go do. You know what I'm gonna, I'm gonna say, Bill. I mean, sure he settled down with Fleur eventually, but really? he's just kind of because he's supposed to be. They don't really portray this, but he's kind of like the bad boy Weasley. Like he's supposed to have kind of like cool like ponytail rock star hair and like mm-hmm. an earring and whatnot. Like, and he he works for Gringotts. I think he's supposed to live in London or something like that. Like he's probably out on the prowl every night. Hmm. Okay. There you go. And of course Neville. Oh yeah, Neville after uh, the end of uh, Deathly Hallows. Oh yeah, I feel he, like he buys just, no more drinks in the Wizarding World. He shows up at the club with that sword too. Mm-hmm. People are like, "Damn!" Yeah. All right. Well, now that we've discussed that, mm-hmm. we were just waiting for the characters to get old enough so we could just uh, talk all about their sex lives. <laughs> we have the dancing scene. It is. It's fun. It's weird. It's goofy, uh, but it's. It's not like too crisp, you know. It's like obviously these are kind of like awkward teenagers, mm-hmm. uh, and I really like Emma Watson in it. She's really good. I think they're both good in this scene. They're right? both good, yeah. Except yeah. for that hair on Harry, that's not good. The way they do, they handle the soundtrack with the, with the song playing, where it, it uh, it's like diegetic, and then it becomes it overtakes the soundtrack, and then mm-hmm. it goes back to just being a song on the radio. Um, I think really betrays the moment they get or portrays the moment they get lost in mm-hmm. um yeah i mean i feel like you could, you could write a whole paper just on the beauty of this scene and then you know maybe uh counterbalance it with the uh vape sex scene <laughs> oh yeah um so let's see godric's hollow what did you think of their little trip to godric's hollow in the uh the t- graveyard well as you know i love me a good ghost town um I would have liked to see more of this. I, I, I feel like rather than what they were doing as a story, I was just more excited by the idea of Harry and Hermione exploring like a, a mysterious abandoned town at night. Well, it's not supposed to be abandoned. I know, I know. Yeah. But like a town where they're the outsiders. I mean, I have to say this is probably my favorite bit in the book. Just this moment, or at least one of my favorites. Like I, I really like that just this moment of deepest despair as they visit his parents' grave and whatnot, and mm. uh, Hermione doing the flowers and that. I, they do it okay in the movies, but it just kind of feels like 
like they're just in a rush to get to the next scene. I feel like it doesn't have the the same emotional impact that it did in the book. Well, okay, so having having read this book and not remembering it entirely, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, I would like to pose that there's anyone out there who, like me, has only seen the movies. Have they actually mentioned the words Godric's Hollow previously in the film series? Hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't say. I'd be interested I, to know that. I yeah. honestly don't think they have. They may have shown it like on a sign or something in a, one of those bad flashbacks in the first film. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they've said the words Godric's Hollow before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I think probably when I first watched this movie, I was probably like, where are they going now? Dumbledore's hometown? Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I just, I like the despair of it. Uh, yeah. her, her and Hermione being like both completely crushed by Ron leaving and kind of like their darkest moment. It's just, that's good. Good drama. I think it all worked. I think the... Um... The exploring the town, the the I think it's Christmas Eve, the cemetery. Yeah, with it being the, Christmas too. Yeah, I mean, they, they the only thing that missing was for them to look in, like like to rub the the window and look in and see like people having merriment, opening presents mm-hmm. or something, you know. And then well, there's outsiders. There's a, a nice lampshade there. In the books, they use Polyjuice potion and mm-hmm. like the invisibility cloak. Uh, in this, I like how Harry's just like, no, I'm not showing up as anyone other than myself in my hometown. See that 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 moment I felt like probably could have very well been from the book. I'm surprised to hear hmm. it. Um, I mean, they, it seems like it's much more cautious of them in the book. Yeah, yeah, they're they're much more cautious. I mean, the invisibility cloak gets used a lot more in the book. Okay. Um, they kind of yada yada over the fact that Harry is like pretty severely injured uh, by Nagini and like the aftermath of all that. Mm. Like, and Hermione kind of had to like you know nurse him back to health a bit there. There's also this recurring thing. It comes up a little bit even in the movie here where Hermione keeps apparating to places that she's visited with her parents. Mm-hmm. Like that's why she went to London. That's why she took them to the Forest of Dean. I don't think they did a very good job of that in the movie. I mean, they said it, but I feel like that's an emotional like weight well, to they, all those scenes. What's interesting is that they never really go there in the books other than to mention it and i think you're supposed to think that hermione is somehow subconsciously giving them away to the death eaters because death eaters keep managing to find them Mm. but it was actually because like the the voldemort name jinx but i i feel like it's just left there for you to interpret that this is all about her missing her parents this is like how she's expressing that Mm. by by constantly going to places that she remembers them together yeah but yeah, it's it's never directly addressed. It's just all kind of there for you to interpret on your own if you want. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because she when she nurses him back to health and like gives shows him his broken wand, he's just like okay. Whereas in the books, he's like he's pretty pissed about it, and he's like, fine, give me your wand. Do they have to wear the fucking locket all the time in the book? You would think they could like put it in their pocket. Yeah, or, seriously, you know. like. Why are you wearing the fucking locket, guys? I did like how Harry, he takes it off her neck when they dance and he puts it aside yeah. so that they can dance without it. Yeah. I mean, they're like scared of losing it or whatever, so which is why they all wear it. But yeah, like, take it off now and then. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> and I, I, you don't see it in this movie, obviously, but like the, the doe leading them to the sword that was all Snape. I don't know if you recall that from the book or not. Oh, I did not. Okay. okay. So Snape, Snape's Patronus is the doe. Snape is acting with Dumbledore's, you know, orders. 
to hide the sword because it it has to be claimed through bravery. You can't just give somebody the sword. Oh, so, he's, he's, so that's why Harry has to do the stupid ass thing of yeah. diving into the frozen lake. But I just like to imagine because Snape's like off screen watching them. Um, I like to imagine Snape is like watching Harry jump into this frozen pond, like almost naked, yeah. without even like casting a protection spell on himself or anything, and just just like what a fucking dunce. I would love if they had done a flashback in part two to to show just Alan Rickman's face, like the eyebrow raise <laughs> as like Dan Radcliffe like strips down to his skivvies. <laughs> yeah. Also, Ron gives Harry a new wand, a black one, ten inches, nothing special. Mm-hmm. Even though he doesn't even get a chance to use that wand, I don't think Fork is taken away from him. Just the the fire goes crazy, mm-hmm. really. I did like a bit where in the books when um he's like practicing with his new wand, and he makes he's practicing an engorgement spell on a spider to make it get bigger, and like Ron's getting annoyed by it because he hates spiders. Mm-hmm. I was like that. The uh, they never even explain why the Snatchers are waiting for them after they visit Xenophilius. Oh. You know, like when they they apparate back. So like they, the beach or whatever. Well, they, the beach, they go uh, back to the location they were at when Ron left them the first time. Right. Okay. Because it's I don't know if you notice it's very subtle, but the the weird like like Euro trash like Death Eater guy he's like found her scarf that she left there. Oh. And it's it's pretty subtle. You don't even realize what's happening. But um, <laughs> if these guys are just chilling in the woods for no yeah, it's like good why, reason. I guess that was their explanation for why those guys are still there. Uh, the whole chase sequence was just dumb. It was boring. On the on the plus, yeah, that was a really uninteresting chase sequence. Um, mm-hmm. On the plus side, he who must not be named is mostly just interested in conquering only England. It seems. No, England first. I mean, Voldemort going to America would be fascinating. Yeah, America can handle him. Got that can-do spirit over here. Hmm. Let's see what else we got. A few more things. Um, very belabored shot to show Bellatrix's hair falling on Hermione. I don't know if that was necessary. Right. Like, I think we could have just gotten that, like, her hair was on Hermione because she was all over her. I don't know if we really needed to show the one hair falling, but whatever. Um, and poor Dobby. He's a free elf. I really feel like Dobby, once he stops... Like once he's free, he's so much better as a character. Oh yeah, and he's not like constantly trying to torture himself. Yeah, he's not beating and flogging himself mm-hmm. anymore. Nobody even tries to save him though. When they, you know, they apparate to the beach, and Harry's just like, "Do something!" And Hermione just cries. Yeah, I mean, like, I was waiting for her to be like, "I don't have any of this juice left," or I can't or like, "Dittany doesn't work on L's." Yeah, or something. She's just like, eh, "This is fucked up, Harry." Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. He was a free elf. Yeah. And he's seemingly a better wizard than Harry is. Well, elves have their own magic. Yeah, they can do things that wizards can't. Yeah. I did like when Dobby takes Narcissa's wand. He's like, how dare you? Because <laughs> the, the wand thing is like, it's it's a big deal. Like, nobody else but wizards get to use wands. Like, they keep them, you know, in like the, the lore and technology of wands they keep it away from like the elves and goblins and whatnot hmm. i like helena bonner carter it was nice to see her have even the briefest of moments mm-hmm. even though like you said it's it's 
wildly uneven because they don't know what the fuck she's talking about with the vault and everything. Carving mud blood into Hermione's arm. Yeah. Well, I, Which I is apparently tell. something that they came up with themselves, uh, Emma Watson and Helena Bonham Carter. Oh, uh, okay. I was not sure what she was doing at first. I thought, oh, shit, did she just bite her? That's fucked yeah. up. <laughs> and uh, then we get the end of the movie with uh, Voldemort opening up Dumbledore's like, modern art tomb. Yeah, that's a very cool tomb. <laughs> like, Dumbledore, your tomb is the cover of a Pink Floyd album. Yeah, basically. Uh, I mean, it looks like it's like a you know like an art museum in New York mm-hmm. somewhere. I feel like there's like the sad hipsters probably live in a house that looks a lot like that tomb. So I assume you you basically got the idea that he has the Elder Wand now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And there's going to be the whole thing where uh, he can't figure out why it doesn't work right for him because so and so is defeated with that, you know. Because because Draco disarmed. Right. Uh, him. So the yeah, so the the power Harry, of the elder wand went to him. And then Harry disarms Draco. Yeah. Yeah. Harry snatches. He literally grabs Draco's wand away from him in this. So yeah, we're about done here. Let's uh, let's do our make one change and then do power rankings. Um, what would you change if you could make one change? In general, just some of the the multitude of extra characters that emerge from the past like there's no real explanation of just like who the fuck madungus is <laughs> yeah mean, you get you get the vibe from how mad i treats him um but then like, he's a thief and then there's another thief would, who's so important would it shock you to know that madungus is introduced in like book four as a mention and then he's in the order of phoenix in book five yes i would fucking shock me really no okay. not really no i guess god damn what is yeah, or Phoenix, because he's he's serious. Keeps him around because he has like shady connections. You know, like he 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 can get them intel from sources they wouldn't normally have because he's such a shady character. I'm just saying, all of you people out there who take credit for claiming for like ten years, oh, Game of Thrones is this book series no one's ever heard of. It'd make a great TV show. Start piping up in the next five years about a Harry Potter TV show. Oh, I'm sure tons of people want that to happen. I mean, this is a fucking cast of characters that's just dying to be <laughs> some I, kind of maxi series. I think like fifteen years minimum before they'd even start talking about that. But yeah, but well, you know, especially when the when the uh, the theme park money starts to die down a little bit for WB, mm-hmm. I hope they'll go back to this. Well, thing. you know, I gotta wonder about the Fantastic Beasts movie. Like on the plus side, Rowling wrote it herself; she even wrote the screenplay. Right. On the minus side, it's still being directed by David Yates. So, yeah. Well, also, be interested to see how that goes. That's a movie that I feel like is really going to have to explode into why it's necessary. Why yeah. is this coming into being? Like, mm-hmm. why is this important for us? Because um, it just seems weird they would go there rather than to, you know, adult Harry Potter. Well, she doesn't want to do that. She wants Harry's story to be over so he can live a happy life. Yeah, so anyways, just certain things, as usual, my usual complaint, being explained a little bit better or, as they've done of other things, cut entirely or, or just melded together. I mean, because, again, it's it's funny how good, for the most part, the adaptation process for Game of Thrones, a TV show, is. Well, yeah, I mean, you can do like a lot more. Like the polar opposite, in some ways, to the Harry Potter movies. Where... I don't know if that's a fair comparison, though, because uh, you're talking a 10 hours per book 
or sometimes 20 hours versus two hours or two and a half right. hours. But just in general, they have the good mindset of, of here's things that are not at all important to the story or they, while they are good, they're not essential for the, the bulk of the story or things get merged to other characters in a way that works. And I don't know that you can always say that happens for Harry Potter, but yes, obviously it's a difference between 10 hours, you know, to well, two and a half to three hours. Well, I think one of the things that, game of thrones uh showrunners do is they're willing to divert in big ways rather than just trying to cram everything in right well they also understand that they're working in a different medium mm-hmm. so uh, let me let me throw out my make one change here okay. maybe this is crazy maybe this wouldn't work well or not but i would move up the trip to go visit xenophilius i'd move that up to before ron leaves them Mm-hmm. And then I would end the movie with them getting caught by Snatchers after Ron returns. So like a real heavy cliffhanger. I think that's a good idea. And then leave. So your next movie would be Act 1 at Malfoy Manor, Act 2 Breaking into Green Gods, Act 3, you know, Extended Battle of Hogwarts. That makes sense because it it it's not enough of a cliffhanger just to see Voldemort's like lightning gasm. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole bit in the books and maybe this would kind of help heighten tension where they get caught by the snatchers and they keep up the uh their fake identities for a few minutes until they the they i think they find some glasses and they find something else and they start to see through their lie about who they are um Mm -hmm. it's kind of it's a tense scene where you think like are they going to get away with this are they not and then no they're not Mm -hmm. um so I don't know how that, maybe that would work. Maybe that wouldn't be enough of an ending, you know, like too much cliffhanger, not enough action for some people. I feel like the the reason they ended it where they did is they wanted like a, another action scene uh, to kind of wrap things up. It's, it's, it's always interesting how, when you have to, to do these things, I mean, I'm thinking again of uh, how they ended the two towers movie. Uh, don't get me started on that. Or just how, how they they move things around for uh, uh, Golden Compass slash Northern mm-hmm. Lights. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, that, I've never read the Divergent books. So I don't know how they're going to do that one, but yeah, I, I like that. I mean, I think you do want to end it with your main characters in peril. Well, I think if you move up Xenophilius, then you can have. Harry, in addition to the Horcrux thing, you can have him kind of starting to obsess about the Hallows, annoying uh-huh. Ron even more. Yeah. Uh, and then him coming back and kind of Hermione still being angry with him when they get caught by the Snatchers. I think that would be just an interesting way to go because she is like supposed to be super pissed at him. So that would be his way to kind of get back in her good graces in the next movie. Though I do like, <laughs> I do like that part of a small part of Ron's leaving is that it's aimless their quest mm-hmm. that nothing's happening that they have no chances and i do like <laughs> reckless retort like what part of this is not living up to your expectations yeah yeah um and then you do have the charming patheticness of uh twilight mom always said twilight but midnight mm-hmm. works much better mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and hermione's just like shut the fuck up Stop trying to win like, you. yeah yeah he's like i'm trying to be nice to you so you won't hate me um all right, so let's get into power rankings. You just know that Ron's going to grow up to be like a schmoopy guy. Oh, Schmoop, of course. Schmoopy. Yeah. Really, really, Ron, honestly. Um, power rankings, okay. So my number one is Hermione. Not shocking. You know why? It's because she's highly logical, which allows her to look past extraneous details and perceive clearly 
that which others overlook. Mm-hmm. Also, the movie would lead you to believe from the pre-credit sequence on that this is like her fucking movie in a way, more so than some of the others have been. Maybe that's just because of bad directing. Could be. Or bad editing. Yeah. Bad screenwriting. So I'm going to blow your mind here. My number one is wrong. Oh, no, it's not blowing my mind because you said it at the very beginning. Yeah, I know. Um, But I feel like this is his movie. He gets all the big dramatic moments and he's like a real character for once instead of comic relief. Um, He has the dramatic arc, basically, of leaving them and coming back. I feel like, you know, enjoy it, Ron. This will be the only time you're my number one. Um, But uh, good job by you. (laughs) The funny thing is, Ron is not even in my top three. Ouch. Well, my number two is Hermione, obviously. obviously. Uh, who's your number two? Harry. Okay. Yeah, Harry's there. It's, again, especially something that was absent so strongly, so starkly in the, in the fourth one, is mm-hmm. that at least it's his journey. You know what I mean? He's invested. Um it's like them doing that more so and all the movies succeeding Goblet of Fire just makes me further hate Goblet of Fire, <laughs> which to the point where I want to take some kind of credit on our part for why ABC Family wouldn't play it in the uh, in the marathon, <laughs> as several people pointed out on Twitter. Um, yeah, I mean... Maybe Harry would rank higher for me if he didn't have those bangs. Just saying. Okay. What's your number three? My number three is Dobby. Okay, interesting. Dobby is a free elf. My number three, oddly enough, uh, a little bit of cheating, is just the house elves, Dobby and Creature. Okay. Oh, that reminds me. The the one thing I forgot to mention. Mm. I really wish they could have included more of Creature's story. Because they they just fly through that. And they're just like, oh, here's Creature, by the way. He's here to provide some useful information about the locket. And then we're moving on. Whereas his actual story about how Regulus loaned him out to Voldemort... And Voldemort tested that potion on him in the cave. It was and fucked up. Yeah, it's totally fucked up. And that would have been a fascinating thing to get a flashback or like a little bit more on. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, going by the book, I would definitely include Creature in that. Okay. Um, my number four is Ron. Okay, my four is Harry. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I mean, who else? Really, after after that, like all these other characters are barely in the movie. Yeah, um, yeah. Um, my number yeah, five. Sorry, sorry, Harry. I feel like you just got outshone in this movie. By Ron, of all people. Mm-hmm. My number five is Luna. Okay. My um, number five is Molly. Interesting. I liked Luna's her, her small appearances, even though like the the bedroom scene that you mentioned would have been sad and touching and stuff. I, I always find it interesting when you have the characters who it's like their absence. Is mm-hmm. just as strong as their presence. So yeah, my number five is Luna. My number six is Dumbledore for the same reason. <laughs> Dumbledore not even being in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my six is just Lupin and Kingsley together. I uh, just like the <sighs> whole like what were Dumbledore's last words to us together. You know, trust I Harry. I could have watched like ten minutes of Kingsley going up to every single character and like basically wanting like code phrases or memories from the past only they would know. Mm-hmm. I I'm, I love that guy's look. I love his whole presence. I I did love um in I think it's in Half Blood Prince. I think it's in Half Blood Prince. I can't remember which one this is, but um the the actual prime minister is like he's he's mad about hearing about all this shit happening in the wizarding world, and they 
they mention how they want to like give him some new protection and uh he's like he thinks they're gonna take away his new intern kingsley shacklebolt from him because he's just like that guy's great he does like twice the work other people do and they're like yeah he's a wizard Hmm. it's just like a funny little bit uh let's see what around seven uh sure i got bill because whatever (laughs) i mean at, at a certain point it's like they're you know, there's three main characters in this book and or in this movie and not a whole lot of other people around. Question, is Madungus on your list? No. You know who should have played Madungus? Not that the guy was bad. Hmm. Is the uh the little guy from Lost Girl. Oh, that guy? Yeah, right? Come Could on. Could that guy do sleazy though? I like that guy. He already has the wardrobe. I guess, yeah, it is a similar wardrobe. Either that or the, the dancing man from uh from Twin Peaks, I guess. I don't know. Maybe just Peter Dinklage. You you really want Mundungus to be a little person, huh? That's <laughs> I interesting. To, I want him to be small with a great big presence. Okay. Uh, let's see. I had Bill. I assume you had Mundungus at seven? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I really don't have anything past okay. six. I mean, I have like Luna, Hagrid, and Snape next, but, you know, it's they Snape barely register. has a fucking power walk <laughs> into the Malfoy Manor. Snape knows how to make an entrance, yeah. I mean, they basically give him like that Darth Vader strut. Well, they're like, oh, have a seat. And at first he thinks like, oh, he's going to get the seat right next to Voldemort. And it's like left hand there. show what a, you know, trustworthy bro he is. But no, there's some other asshole between him and Voldemort. Like, who is that guy? Yeah. And why does he get to sit there closer? Well, don't you want Snape just to be like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> You're in my seat. Yeah. And then he like does a spell and the chair eats the dude. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, so that is about it. Yeah, um, we had another review. Let me go find it in iTunes here. It is from Raquel Hinson. Oh, hey, cool. thank you for the review. Five stars in iTunes. Uh, if you like the podcast, please feel free to rate review us in iTunes. It's always appreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to get in touch with us, at uh, Headcanon Pod is our Twitter. Our website page is broswatchpll2.com slash headcanon. Um, yeah, podcast is doing well. It seems like uh, people like it, so that's good to hear. We'll be finishing up Harry Potter next week and then moving on to Hunger Games after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other thoughts, Marco? No, just uh, looking forward to reaching the end of the Harry Potter universe. Are you? Uh, not, not because I'm tired of it by any mm-hmm. means, but you know, we've been on this journey. It's yeah. been an intense one for us for the past like eight weeks. I'm slightly concerned about Hunger Games just because I know that I hate the director of the first Hunger Games movie and I don't want to like, just like bitch about that for a whole podcast, but it's going to be hard not to. It's, uh, if you enjoyed the Goblet of Fire episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not that it's like I can really like praise Francis Lawrence in the second one per se, but at least it's competent. Francis Lawrence, who's like the Hunger Games is David Yates. Uh, I feel like he's. I would put him at a higher level than David Yates, mm, mm. at least a little bit. Okay. Yeah, but anyway, uh, we'll be wrapping up Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows Part Two next time. Until then, see ya. Peace. <laughs>